Welcome to the Sunflower Conversations, where we explore the hidden disability sunflower and its role in supporting people with hidden disabilities. Well, welcome to the Sunflower Conversations. I'm Chantal, and joining me today on the Sunflower Conversations is my colleague, Sandy. Greetings from Melbourne. Also, Shannon. How are you, Shannon? Very well indeed. Very well indeed. Good to be here. So Shannon is based in Brisbane, Australia, is an aviation security and facilitation consultant and sits on the Queensland Accessible Transport Advisory Council. Shannon, can you tell me a little bit about your background and your experience, which has led you to be on the advisory board? Yeah, absolutely. So the my background is, is about 20 odd years in aviation, aviation security and facilitation. So when the opportunity came up to join the Accessible Transport um, Advisory Council, I thought that I would have a little, a fair bit to bring to the table in terms of knowledge and experience. The, the, the other part of, of my experience is an exp experience with disability. So in my family, there's a, a long history of haemophilia. When they were putting together the Accessible Transport Advisory Council, what they were looking for was people with industry experience, I guess, um, as well as people with lived experience. And what you find when you sit around this, this um, council is you've got an incredibly rich pool of experience to draw from. Queensland's one of the biggest states in Australia, about five million people, I think, in the state, about two million square k's of land. So it makes it about two and a half times the size of Texas or about seven times the size of the UK. So it's a big, big bit of real estate. But the fact that we've got five million people as opposed to 60 million means you've got some real challenges when it comes to accessibility. So long, thin train route, you know, very small towns and, and you know, one or two large cities. Primarily, we advise Queensland Rail, Department of Transport and Main Roads, who look after buses and, and um, the, the road networks and so on. Technical specifications to do with, you know, accessibility of trains and how close the train should be to the platform and, and that kind of thing. I'm more interested in the end-to-end -end journey. I'm more interested in how does someone get from their home to where they need to get to and back again, and how can we make that um, as seamless as possible. What I tend to do is take my aviation knowledge and try and apply it to, to different environments. Um, what kind of topics do you advise on with your speciality? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. The vast majority of my career in air transport and my focus for a very long time has been um, security and facilitation. And those, those two aspects go sort of hand in hand. I spend a lot of my time um, talking with governments around the world. I actually write uh, training programs of talking about the challenges for people with disabilities in these spaces. So if it's the security space, then it's going to be specifically, usually at screening points. And there's obviously some, uh, can be challenges for people who with, with disabilities in, in those areas. Again, the end-to-end -end journey. So how do I, what happens when I leave the house? What do I need to do to get to the airport, through the airport, onto the aircraft and out the other side? So what are some of the things that airlines and airports need to consider to be inclusive for a passenger with non-visible disabilities. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great question, and it's and it's something that airlines and airports are, are constantly thinking about. You know, not just because there are international obligations around that in terms of facilitation, but because you know it's in their best interest to um, be as inclusive as possible. You know, one of the things that we talk about in the Accessible Transport Council is twenty percent of tourists who come to Queensland have some kind of disability, hidden or otherwise. It's a massive part of the tourism market and therefore it will be a massive part of the 
you know, one in five people who go through an airport or get on an aircraft are going to have some form of disability. So it's a hugely important question to address. Airlines and airports, airline airports in particular, um, focus on the fact that an airport is a really busy, often overcrowded place. It's overwhelming, it's confusing, it's stressful, it's unfamiliar to people a lot of the time. And they do spend a lot of time thinking about that. You, you'll find that um, airports think a lot about wayfinding and, and making it as simple as possible to get from the taxi or from the, the bus or however you've got to the airport to check in through screening and, and, and out. The other thing that, that sometimes I think gets lost as we charge towards new technologies, and anybody who's traveled over the last 10 or 15 years will know, you know, back in the day, you would interact with people a lot more. You'd have a conversation with the check-in agent. You'd have a conversation with the security officer. You'd have a conversation with customs, uh, immigration people, et cetera, et cetera. And as technologies come in, that started to fall away. So you can, you can check in online, which is great a lot of the time for a lot of people, um, or you can check in at the airport using a booth. You don't have to talk to anyone. You can go through security oftentimes without really interacting with people. You've got automated you know, gate passes to, to get through immigration, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, and I remember because I lived in London years ago, you could go through Heathrow Terminal 5 and basically not speak to anybody. But for people who need that support or, or are confused or, or are stressed or upset or, you know, just, just need something else, um, that becomes a real challenge because there's nobody immediately, there's nobody you can just talk back in the day, you would mention to the check-in agent, oh, look, you know, I'm going to need some, some assistance here. And that was an easy conversation to have because you're already having a conversation with them. And nowadays you've got to seek out someone to talk to. And I think that can be a, a real challenge. And then the other thing tied exactly to that is airports um, are focused on, on development of apps to, to almost to replace that human interaction. Um, so looking at um, you know, again, whether it's around wayfinding or, or providing more information about the, the environment, this is where you're going to find bathrooms. This is where you're going to find medical assistance if you need it. This is where you can find whatever it is. They, you know, a lot of very sophisticated airports now have apps that you can, you can sort of interact with. So there's, there's, those are some of the things that, that, um, that the airlines and the airports focus on. From an airline point of view, it's easy for you know, flight crew and cabin crew and so on, to forget that this is stressful for some people. You know, again, I think the statistics are that one in four people who get on a plane don't want to be on that plane. They don't like flying. They don't like anything about it. So, you know, if you're someone who, who um, you know, has a hidden disability, PTSD or something which is going to get triggered by, by stressful environments or claustrophobic environments or whatever it is. I honestly um, didn't realise that it was one in four people yeah. that is really yeah, yeah. high so well so if you combine that if you say 20 one in five people getting on that plane have got some kind of disability mm. one in four people and don't want to be there in the first place and it may be that those two don't intersect you know you might have someone who's you know got a physical disability who loves flying doesn't you know the, as long as they get the support they need for their for their mobility um the being on the plane doesn't matter um if you've got someone with with autism who loves flying that's not going to be a, a, as much of, a, of an issue. I've got friends who've got um, children with, with, who are on the autism spectrum. They love flying. Not a, this is not a problem to get on the plane. But it's where those two intersect, I think, can be, can be a real challenge. And I, was, I saw that British Airways most recently 
um, became involved in the in the the, the sunflower um, program, and that to me makes a lot of sense because you know, in particular British Airways, but any airline, you know, to to sort of acknowledge that yeah, there's there's going to be challenges here, and you know, they, we spend a lot of time training our staff on on dealing with all manner of emergencies and situations, and this is another piece of our of our training to make sure as many people as possible are as comfortable as possible during that during that journey because a safety issue isn't it so one of the things that people often get upset about with physical disabilities so people in wheelchairs for example and i've i've heard um stories told by people in wheelchairs who've turned up to an airport to be told no you can't fly in this aircraft um because you know we've already got two people in wheelchairs and and you know you you didn't tell us that you were coming and so we didn't plan for it and on its face, it's like, yeah, that's that's terrible and it should be allowed and it should be facilitated. But there are a whole bunch of really rigid safety aspects to, to aviation which simply can't be um, can't be gotten around. So for example, you need to be able to get every single person off an aircraft within 90 seconds. That's the really? that's yeah, that's the safety rule. So when when the A380 first came into service, and they can A380 can take up to about 800 people, depending on how you configure it. Um, Airbus had to prove through demonstration that they could get every single person off that aircraft in 90 seconds. Now you can't do that if half those people are in wheelchairs. Yeah. But you can do it if four of them are, or six of them are, or, or whatever it is. It's also very much a safety issue if you've got someone who is not happy to be on the aircraft has a hidden disability that triggers something within them they panic they they get stressed they do something they wouldn't otherwise do and then suddenly you've got a situation where people around them are feeling threatened or feeling scared and and you're right and that causes all manner of issues to do with you know the the safety of the aircraft and it, it in fact spills into the security part, which is, of course, the other part of my, my role, we have debates within the security space about people with mental health issues who do something to endanger the, safe, the security of the aircraft. Is that what we would consider a terrorist incident or is, or is there another way of categorising that? Because from a strict security point of view, if you, regardless of your motivations, if you jump up and try and smash your way into the cockpit, that's a security problem. And that's a terrorist incident. But at the end of the day, um, the idea around aviation is that, you know, broadly speaking, the amount of aircraft that take off is the same amount of aircraft that land. So <laughs> you want to, regardless so. of, yeah. So you, regardless of, of how and why and when, you want to make sure that, that um, no person feels that they need to sort of create a, an incident on board an aircraft. And I can totally um, agree with you as well on the part about um, preparing the passenger for flying, being able to give them a sense of, like you said, wayfinding and preparation, and it can ease the anxiety and the nerves when they have some sort of idea of what to expect. So do you um, have any best in practice examples? One from an aviation point of view, I guess, is if you look at Singapore Airport, um, Singapore Airport is consistently ranked the best airport in the world for for a variety of very good reasons. But they do a a few things really, really well. The wayfinding is very, very good um, through Singapore. They do, but they do really simple things like it's carpeted. 
Now you might not think, oh, who cares? It's carpeted, it's got tiles, you know, it makes it harder for me to drag my bag. It's quieter. So you don't have all the noise and the echoing and, and what have you. And to that end, they don't make announcements either. So every, there's boards everywhere to show you where you need to be and when the flights are and so on. But there's no constant noise of talking and the clattering of feet on, on tiles and so on. But they spend a lot of time thinking about how to make the environment comfortable for everybody. You know, how can we, you know, airports are stressful and noisy. How can we bring that down and make it calmer and quieter? So it's those kind of sometimes really simple things. In Denmark, in the security checkpoint, when they designed that, they designed it almost as if they were designing like a concert hall. And they spent a lot of time thinking about how can we reduce the noise? Same thing. So security points are noisy, chaotic places and people get very stressed. So they've, they've designed it with how they've, they've set up their, their ceilings and walls where that noise is, is basically sucked away. If you go back to the accessible transport, the Queensland examples, not only does, does Queensland have an accessible transport council, on each individual major project in Queensland, transport project, they have separate sort of advisory forums. So where they really get into the weeds of, okay, we're about to buy 400 new trains. You know, what do, we, what do they need to have? How, do, how are we going to make the bathroom successful? How are they going to keep them close to the, the platform? You know, all of those things. We're about to put on a light rail down in the Gold Coast. So there's, there'll be a whole little forum set up doing a really great job at trying to make transport accessible to as many people as they possibly can. Um, and not just because we've got the Olympic Games coming up in 10 years, but even before that, they were, they were doing that. And so I think that's a really good example where all the way back at the design phase, you're, you're trying to incorporate, whether it's you know, things that, that allow for people with physical disabilities to, to get access, but even, again, whether it's wayfinding the design of, of um, train terminals and so on to make it as calm as possible, as stress-free as possible, as easy to navigate as possible, so that anybody with any kind of disability, hidden or otherwise, feels that they can they can enter that space um, and, and be comfortable in that space. You are listening to the Sunflower Conversations with Chantal. To share your story and find out more information, details are in the show notes. I think um, when you're able to start the design with the design process, that means that your whole journey, I would imagine, is is thinking about accessibility from the, you know, from the get-go. So you mm. said the one... Um, in Denmark has been designed with that, uh, the audio effect in mind. And, um, but most settings will have to retrofit, won't they? They've been Absolutely. there for a long time. Yeah, and that, and that, you know, whether that's an airport or a train station or, or whatever it is, um, that's the, a big problem. So in Queensland, there's 150 train stations, I think just in the Southeast Queensland corner. Um, some of those were designed in the 50s when you know accessibility meant someone carried the guy with the wheelchair up the stairs like there was just no consideration for accessibility whatsoever there's a train station a couple of kilometers from my house which is going through a retrofitting process hugely expensive and the yeah. queensland government's committed to 150 doing this 150 times retrofitting these stations putting in decent size elevators and and you're absolutely right if you can if you can get it right at the start 
then you solve all these problems. You, you mentioned earlier on about the development of apps within um, airports so that people can plan their journey before they arrive. One of the one of the issues is the um, the heavy reliance is on technology. Not mm. everybody is computer literate uh, and finds operating one in really challenging and um, mm. a barrier. When you're making your advice within the airport environment, do you take those considerations into account? Yep, all the apps in the world are great, but sometimes it, it is literally people on the ground. Yeah, Someone I had an experience in, um, on the tube the other night. I went into central London and on the way back, the Northern Line has a new spur. So it has a couple mm-hmm. of new stations which go off that way. And I hadn't clocked that. So basically yeah. I ended up in the wrong spot. And I can't tell you how stressful it was mm. to, to actually get to where I wanted to be because the announcements were not loud enough for me to hear. Mm-hmm. And there weren't any staff. I mm-hmm. felt really stressed by that. Um, luckily I mean I would have figured it out eventually but I was thinking I'm gonna have to come out of the tube I'm gonna have to order a taxi because I cannot fathom what platform I'm supposed to be on or how I even get to that platform um so wayfinding and people on the ground um I completely understand that you just want to ask a human being a question we can give you a direct answer to get you to where you need to be and it and it goes back to, to what we were talking about a little bit before, which is as the technology evolves, people get pulled out of the equation, especially in airport environments and, and so on. Um, but the human interaction, I don't think can ever be really replicated. So to your example about not being able to find someone, um, I had the opposite example where I, I was just pottering around with my two boys. I've got very young kids and they decided they wanted to catch a train and just wandered down into the bowels of the place. All I was looking for was a train to take me out a couple of stations and then come back. And there was a guy there and he worked for the you know, Queensland Rail and he, I had a conversation with him, took 15 seconds for him to go, what you need to do, platform two, that'll take you out to such and such a station, turn around and come back. Great. You know, maybe there's an app that Chapter. could have told me that or maybe I could have worked it out, but I wouldn't have worked it out in 15 seconds. I hope there's always a balance between, okay, there's new technology and innovation and, and new things, but there's also Bill and Jane and Steve and Joni, and they're still there in some capacity. Absolutely. What advice would you give to a person with a health condition who's travelling, thinking about you know, an airport journey, for example? You're the one with the health condition, so you're the one who's best placed to know what you need. It would be my first thought on this. To some extent, it's about planning ahead. Well, not to some extent, a lot of it is about planning ahead. So if you know that you're going to want more time, you're going to need potentially access to particular medical facilities, you you, you want to have a conversation with someone before you, your journey, do that planning ahead in advance. So, you know, most airports of any, of any note and certainly most airlines, have, they've got pretty sophisticated websites, they've got you know, contact centres and so on. And I think we did touch on this earlier about the idea that if you know what's coming, it's a lot easier to, to deal with. If you just front up at an airport, you've never been to one before and you've got a ticket in one hand and a bag in the other, it can be stressful. Don't be afraid to, to talk to people, whoever they are. They, they live and breathe the airport and aviation. So you're unlikely to ask them a question that they don't know the answer to. I guess the other bit is to prepare for the unexpected a little bit. So if you're, if you're someone who gets stressed out by things not going exactly as they should and you've got things in a particular order, 
that'll probably happen about 80% of the time in an airport, but and, and, and a, um, on an airline. Um, but things get delayed, flights get cancelled, things get moved around, the gate gets changed. Sometimes in, in aviation, you've got to sort of roll with it, I think. So that's, uh, that's an important one as well, as much as, as much as you can. Do all airlines have assistance? We call it assistance here. So um, if I have additional needs, I can mm. pre-check pre-book like somebody to meet me with a, with a buggy or you know help me with my bags yeah so they will let them know in advance absolutely critical if you have advised in advance whether it's a physical limitation any kind of doesn't have to be you know a physical limitation could be obviously any kind of hidden disability if you are concerned if it's the first time you've flown or okay. you know the first time you've, you've been through that airport let someone know beforehand or well, they will let you know where to go, who, who will meet you. And depending on what your need is, that person could take you right from you know, curbside all the way through to, to the aircraft and be your support right the way through. Um, or it might just be you, know, you need assistance to, until you get to dropping off your bags and from then on you'll be fine, whatever it is. 99% of, of airlines and, and airports will have that facility available. And how much of a support is the sunflower when traveling i think i think it's a really really great initiative as someone who lives and breathes aviation it didn't surprise me that that this was first picked up at gatwick airport and has sort of come through that that process because i think people in aviation understand that is it's a confusing environment that it's a stressful environment that people don't do this all the time you know having sort of a recognizable image um, someone can look around and go, that person, they might not be able to solve my problem, but they're going to be sympathetic and understanding to, to and empathetic um, to, to the need, and they're going to be able to help me through whatever the, the issue is. So certainly in aviation, um, I think it's hugely useful, but then even in, in other transport modes, the, the challenges are the same. You know, what you're trying to do is get from where you are to where you need to be doesn't matter whether you're going to spend 24 hours in an aircraft or five minutes on a bus. That's the, the concept is the same. I think it's hugely useful, uh, you know, and, and as that comes into the, the land transport space in Australia, for example, because it's not so much here yet, you know, I look forward to, to seeing that more often because I, I think that um, there's an enormous amount of value, again, in that person-to-person support. And we touched on it already a couple of times. Technology tends to have the focus and it tends to, you know, everyone thinks that everything can be solved by technology, but that human-to-human interaction and the ability to actually reach out to someone and say, I need some help, um, I don't think that can be replaced. Shannon, thank you so much for giving up what would be your evening and Sandy to join us on the Sunflower Conversations. I cannot believe that the statistic is so high of one in four people on an aeroplane, you know, has some feeling of uh, not wanting to be there. So, you know, there's clearly a lot of work that can be done to make those passengers feel supported, secure and confident. As more airlines, you mentioned BA have come on board. We have a couple of other airlines as uh, Air New Zealand um, mm. and uh, others that I can't say. <laughs> as more come on board, um, I think it will make the travelling experience for um, our customers with non-visible disabilities much more pleasant. And yes, let's get it rolled out on land in Australia too. If you'd like to share your sunflower story or conversation, 
please email conversations at hiddendisabilitiesstore.com. Find out more about us or listen to this recording again by checking out our insights page at hiddendisabilitiesstore.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. Please help, have patience and show kindness to others and join us again soon. Making the invisible visible with the hidden disability sunflower. <laughs>